You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to today's show. On today's episode, I sit down and interview Ryan Bradzel, assistant principal at Horn High School in Mesquite ISD. Ryan is entering his 20th year in education and as an assistant principal at a secondary high school in Northeast Texas, I will tell you, he has got some powerful takeaways. I am asking him to share about how he created a classroom space in a high school setting where teachers could feel safe to build and sustain relationships with kids. And he calls it a connection center. And then two, I'm asking Ryan to share a strategy, how he uses a conversation before consequences with an apology letter as a strategy with dealing with conduct and consequences or actually office referrals from teachers in the classroom. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am honored today to have a really good friend and colleague, Ryan Brazel. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, brother. Hey, just like we do when we teach in the classroom, Connections Before Content, we do it on the show. We do it in what they call the flip five format. So Ryan, I'll ask you five GTKY questions and you'll flip five back at me. So simple question, Ryan, what was your first car you ever owned like your first car that you got it was a 78 model chevrolet pickup it was from my grandfather the power steering it had it and if you've ever had power steering and then it goes out it's a lot worse than never having it at all <laughs> well said i love it mine was a 1976 capri bright canary yellow i saved 900 all summer working with my mom in the food stamp office, filing, getting enough cash for that car. But that's awesome, brother. All right, question number two. All right, so I know you're a soccer fan. I know a little bit about you. So talk to me, like, so what is like your, like you're a soccer fan in a variety of different levels, but if like I said, what's your team? What's the one team that you're rooting for the most in the soccer arena? All right, so my team, I know uh, some other Soccer fans may frown upon this, but my team is actually Manchester United. Now, they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is, is I've been a fan of theirs. I've been a supporter of theirs since 1991. That team alone has had some great history, some tragic events, actually, involved, including the Munich air disaster. But um, that team, I've always felt a connection to. I've always supported them. I just, I don't know. I love their style of play growing up. I'm hoping at this point right now with everything going on that they can stay stay on top. Right. So, but yeah, right. hopefully get back in Champions League next year. I love it, brother. All right, so you mentioned a year in 1991. So I want you to think about this. Do you have a number that has a significance with you? Like, so for example, my favorite number is 12, but there is some reasons behind it. So do you have a favorite number? And if you do, is there any significance behind it? You know, growing up, uh, and playing sports and whatnot, I never really had a number that I focused on. My dad played sports and, you know, I never thought a lot of my friends had their dad's number. I just never really did. But I guess today, the one number that stands out to me the most is probably 43. Okay. Talk to me about 43. All right. So our family farm is off of Highway 43 towards Keto Lake, Karnak, that in that you know, the family farm's been in, in, at least a part of me since I was a small child. So, for instance, you know, one of my emails, actually, no, one of my passwords without going into too much detail, <laughs> I was about some to say, of my, some things that I do. just get to know you, Ryan, yeah. not to not share your passwords. Don't go deep, <laughs> too deep, too fast. Come on now. <laughs> I'm trusting. Yes. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, part of that is the number 43. Awesome, brother. All right. Question number four. All right. So when you put on your shoes, are you a sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Or are you a sock, shoe, sock, shoe? I am a sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Me too. I don't find many people that are not, but I do occasionally get a flyer. And question number five. All right. So Brazel, it's a simple question, but um, if you were going to take me to eat somewhere, particularly at Caddo Lake area, where would you take me to eat? Well, restaurants are continuously on the move there. 
Mm-hmm. I would probably, at the end of the day, it would be it'd be Riverbend. Okay. Right there on Big Cypress Bayou. Um, gotcha. Their food has gotten amazing over the years. And it's hard for me to say that because I grew up eating at a place called Big Pines Lodge. Uh-huh. That probably sounds familiar to a lot of people that have been around Caddo. It's glory days. Still have hope, but it seems to be going. <laughs> so Riverbend is the place. All right, brother. So that's five. You got five questions for me. Yes, sir. All right. So first one, I'm curious. You know, I don't see you, you know, I've, when I've been around you, because, you know, as you stated, we're not just colleagues, we're friends as well. I don't see you in a hat very often. So I guess my question is, is what is your favorite type of hat to wear? Oh, just a ball cap. Okay. Which is crazy because, Ryan, I wear a hat probably more times than not. I mean, being in being in coaching, football, even in football, baseball, you know, coaching, wear hats a lot. But I probably have more hats than I have anything else. And so, but a favorite cap is, is really just a ball cap of uh, different kinds. I try to coordinate them. But at the end of the day, I love just a regular old ball cap. Works, works for me. Covers up this bald head, keeps it out of the sun, keeps it protected. And uh, for the longest time after I shaved my head after working in East Texas and Gilmer, I was uh, very conscious about self-conscious about being bald and took a long time for me to get comfortable with it. But I definitely love a good ball cap any day. Oh, okay. I, I pictured you as a cowboy hat kind of guy. I know you. I have those, but that wouldn't be my go-to. Okay. Ball cap. All right. Now you mentioned a little bit of something about this earlier, mm-hmm. but uh, in one of our talkings, I think it was when you were talking about your new car or, or your car. But I guess my question is, is, what was your very first job and what did you do? Uh, very first job is throwing newspapers in my neighborhood. That was my very first job. Awesome. I don't even remember how old I was. I just remember sitting in the back of the station wagon that my parents would drive me around and I had to get up early at five o'clock in the morning, go get the newspapers. I had to roll them all. If it was raining, you had to put them in the plastic sleeves, you know? Yeah. I, I just remember that. That was my first job was actually throwing newspapers in the, in the neighborhood. Okay. All right. Another question kind of revolves around uh, the question you asked me about Caddo, but like if you were to have a choice and you were to have people over, mm-hmm. what is your what is kind of your go to out of these two? If you are having like people over and you can only order a whole bunch of pizzas or a whole bunch of tacos, which would it be? Ooh, tacos over to pizza for me any day. I mean, really? pizza's great. Yeah, I'm San Antonio. Tacos are what I grew up around, and so True. yeah, no, so True. tacos, tacos over pizza any day of the week for me. All right. Here's one that you and I can relate to. What would be your bucket list dream outdoor adventure? I'm stuck either Alaska or something in like New Zealand, you know, um, either um, fish. Alaska, I think you could do a little bit more. You could you could fish for salmon. You could do some hunting for a variety of big game. I think you'd experience different train and weather. So I think out of those, I think I'd pick Alaska for okay, cool. Big, big dream outdoors. Yeah, New Zealand definitely has some huge brown trout, though. I'll, uh, yeah, so that's why I said, I mean, I, man, we get either one of those trips on the books, Brazo, we're good to go. No, absolutely. Well, hey, guys, that was the uh, Connections Before Content. That is our GTKY. So just like, uh, you know, even though Brazo and I get a chance to know each other, we still were able to ask some questions. It's so simple. Just using get to know your strategies in the classroom. You want to use those just like you do on the show. So head over to RCL first, RCLFIRST.com. You can get uh, 28 GTKY questions. You can... Join our virtual conference July 13th to 14th. If I'm not mistaken, we may be close to being sold out for our CSRP training, which is June 22nd through the 24th in Austin, Texas. And just, or if you just want to be a guest on the show, reach out. And so now that we got that out of the way, Brazel, I could tell the listeners that you and I connected. You are a high school assistant principal in Mesquite ISD at Horn High School, correct? Yes, sir. And you and I made a connection and so what do you remember about making that first connection when you, what was it about, I'm assuming, you know, me just doing the work and you working in a school, what was, what do you remember about that first connection about our cross, okay. past crossing? Yeah, very good question. You know, I, the very first time that I even came to understand the pieces behind the utilization of relationships first was when you guys came to our professional development center as a, as a, as a team, uh, protects RP. And, and I got to experience that. And in that moment, I was, I was told, Hey, I, you know, by my supervisor that I need you to go to this. But when I left out of there, I was so thankful that I went 
uh, I wanted to meet the head guy, which was me, Kevin Curtis. I don't, I didn't really get that opportunity to meet you at that time, but I guess through the understanding that relationships come first and looking at the child as a, as a human being instead of a data point. And then when I finally did connect with you after that moment, when I reached out and spoke with you on the phone about coming to my campus, I was so fired up. I was so excited, you know, with, you know, to, to have somebody out there sharing the, the mindset that relationships should come first, that, that I was, I wasn't alone. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was amazing. I was like, I got to get to know this guy. So yeah, talking to you on the phone and then having y'all to our campus in the year 2017, everything that day, it's almost like, it was like somebody finding buried treasure. You know, it just, it meant so much to, to me to understand that this is the route education should go. Utilizing the strength of the relationship between the student to student and teacher to student and student to teacher, utilizing that relationship and capitalizing on how that can be put forth on my campus, it just empowered me so much. Uh, and meeting you was a huge piece. Oh man, I appreciate that. Well, I, I will tell you, I love the fact that I mean, when I when I do get to affirm or kind of affirm and confirm, like people are like, "Yes," like that's how I think, right? And because sometimes we do feel like we're like on an island by ourselves, and to hear others think outside the box and to think like, wait, relationships are, can play a pivotal point, even in proactively with teachers, but in your world with dealing with the consequences and conduct and, and, you know, those, those types of things, I think to hear somebody that thinks different, but thinks like you, that was right. you and I really connected was the fact that you're like, yes, this is exactly how I've been thinking. And I couldn't put a name or a frame around it, but you guys have done that for me. And then here's the hardest part, Ryan is, is you're at a high school. And I think people may, if you've listened to the show, have heard me say high school to me is the least fertile soil to bring a relationship centered approach to because it's so heavily content driven. And it, and I understand it though, because I mean, it is the last step quote unquote to get them prepared for college or the next steps in life. And so we feel in, in the secondary education, particularly at the high school, that it's our job to get them ready for life. And it seems like relationships before content is a struggle at that secondary level. I mean, we've talked privately, but in other words, do you feel like that way? And again, I'm not asking us, we're not throwing anything or anyone on the bus. We're just talking about general philosophy. Sure. When it comes to secondary. So this may not, this, I want to make sure people understand this may not reflect Horn High School. This is just your philosophy and your experience at the secondary level on relationships first. Well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, to be quite honest, because, you know, yes, you can grow the elementary age child starting with relationships and building that and building that and building that and letting them know at, at an early age that this is what an educator's lifestyle is about. And that is fostering your growth by loving you and showing you that I care. And then the next year, when you go to the next teacher, I'm going to do exactly what Mr. Curtis did as your kindergarten teacher. And then your first grade teacher does the same thing. I'm going to do exactly what Mr. Brazel did. So it's like we're growing that child and understanding that we, we, we are here for you relationally first. Now, and then, of course, what happens is, is when the child gets to middle school, something somewhere could disrupt all of that love and care. So it, it's once that child gets off that, it's, it, it's kind of easier to bring them back maybe the next year. But the analogy I'm trying to think of is like, if I tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, you know, or whatever on the phone, every time we hang up, okay, honey, love you, click, love you, click. It's just becomes part of the routine, all right? So it's what we're used to. So at the high school level, if a child is just used to, in, in kindergarten, first grade, being loved on, and then all of a sudden something happens in second grade, third grade, fourth, well, as their mind grows, they start to see, okay, it's just about the work. It's just about the work. It's just about the work. Well, then when somebody comes along in say your ninth grade year as an educator or a 10th grade as, as an educator, and, and they show you that you're important through the relationship you have with that person, it's like a rekindling of the fire and that child will do anything for you. And then we start using that language that I need you to not let me down because I care about you, because I want to see you succeed. Don't let me down. So now I've become a part of that child's life. And 
And I can, and you can see that they start to grow from that. They're going to have mistakes, but they do feel, wait a minute, this person cares about me. They're trying to work with me here. They are looking at me with an open mind and kindness, not like anybody that has done in the past since first grade or kindergarten. So it's kind of like a mind shift there. I'm breaking up that routine of, here you go, pen, paper, pencil, pen, paper, pencil. You know, it, it, I'm breaking up that routine. And, and I think it's, I, I honestly, I see where the fertile, the non-fertile ground comes in, but I also see it as a chance to really take it and turn the mindsets of a lot of people around, that it can work. It definitely can work. So for our listeners, we were able to train some of Ryan's staff at the high school and give them some of the tools that we preach and teach about. And then so for Ryan, when you look at like you're not only a cheerleader, you know, you're also a champion of kids. But when you look at through what your teachers have gone through. And, and, and the reason I say that is I want to talk about two things today for sure, Ryan, is I want to talk about the green room. I want to talk a little bit about how, what, how that climate came into play, because I want people to hear what that strategy looked like and, and, and some of the strengths that came out of that and success. Yes. So, so when we look at a green room, what we're talking about is not a, a, a room that's colored green. Green is proactive for us. And so when I say green, I'm talking about what Ryan and his staff created with support from the administration was a room where teachers could go and were help facilitated with somebody that was already in there helping them ready to go facilitate a classroom community building circles. Now, this was obviously years ago. And the best part about it was, is that Ryan was given a couple people in the room to model and support what building relationships looks like, getting to know each other through community circles. And so it was the first time I had ever had a campus create a safe space where teachers could leave their classroom, go down to this room, and have people in there that would help them go through the GTKY process between them and their kids. Because as Ryan mentioned it earlier, we're all about cross-connecting student to student, student to teacher, and teacher to student. So, you know, you can hear some of the language that Ryan has already adopted. It's much like ours in the fact that we see those connections being powerful. But it was the first school out of every school I've worked with, and I've yet to have another school do this, Ryan, is to create a proactive space that was safe for teachers to go down and be vulnerable and to take their kids. Absolutely. And what was, I think a lot of people were surprised is that it was voluntary. And second of all, they had to sign up because if they couldn't handle more than a you know a group or two at a time. So the thing about it is, is when you think about that space, what are some of the things that you take away from creating? Because this was your idea. It realistically, you you came up with this idea of saying, what if we created a safe space where teachers can go down and proactively have somebody help them facilitate these tools so that they become more color, uh, more more competent, but also understanding the power of those connections. What are some of the takeaways or the thought process? I want people to understand you kind of guided this through that space. So what was some of the thought right. process going through it? Okay. So it, it really, it, it started with just the drive and the, and the passion that I started to, that I felt for uh, utilizing these practices and whatnot. And so I looked for an empty area. There in every high school. There is somewhere, someplace. It doesn't have to be a room, it, it'd be best if it was, but we had teachers circling with their students out in the hall. If somebody was passing by, then they would just stop. Or maybe in some cases, they invited them in. This room was an old computer lab. We modified it, changed it to, uh, as uh, as you stated, our kind of green proactive approach room. And it just became a very safe space. And again, it's kind of like what I was saying in you know the last time, it's breaking up that routine. It's changing the mindset is changing what the kid, the the mo, the modality, the model, whatever. It's changing the model because I come to class, I sit with my teacher, I get my work, I turn it in. Next period, I come to class, I sit with my teacher, I get my work, I turn it in. Well, this was a break in the day in a sense that we're going to stop focusing on an instruction for just a minute or two, just a little while. And we're going to take a time to focus on ourselves and each other. So we're going to go down to this room in F-104. Uh, that was our circle room, if you will. But uh, really just, you know, what I like to call it is 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 kind of a connection center. And so we come down and, um, and, and magic happens. It is just magic. And some of the takeaway uh, in regards to your question was seeing teachers 
that are not far from retirement, developing a new passion in education, looking at that child as a human being. We all put our pants on the same way, regardless of the background we come from. And what what happened in that room was just amazing among educators, principals, district level personnel. Incredible magic happened in that room. And I do welcome anybody out there listening to Google or YouTube, Circle for Change, Restorative Practice, and you will see a about a five-minute video um, on hearing what went on, visually seeing what went on, what the room looked like itself. Uh, incredible stuff. Um, now, that room, as we have grown, uh, we've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, we've grown, um, and that room has now had to go into a uh, career and technology class. So it is now a like computer uh, computer science uh, certificate earning class, if you will. But um, we have a new, quote, connection center that we're trying to establish and get it ready for any kind of trainings that I may do, another AP may do. Uh, if we have visitors that, wants, that want to come in and just utilize it for training purposes, that's what we're looking at doing with that room. So we No, that's good. Uh, and I, I'm very, very transparent with my listeners and the idea, Ryan, that listen, you know, sustainability is very difficult, particularly coming through a pandemic and, and growth because, my God, you guys, how many students were you originally when back in like when we first started with you guys? How much growth did you guys have? When y'all first came out to us in 2017, we were a school of about anywhere from 18 to 1900. Uh-huh. And where are you at now? So we've, we're now at 3,200. Yeah. I, I knew the growth growth was going to be substantial. Yeah. You guys had. So the reason I say from our listeners is you're like, well, was that a success? I believe it was a success, not because it, maybe it's not still standing right at this moment, because what you can't take away, no matter what, and even if it lasted just a handful of years, is you can't take away the conversations. You can't take away the connections or the experiences those teachers had at that moment. Because what's interesting is I was very hesitant to believe and watch, Brazel, that you were telling me that all of a sudden these spots that these teachers were signing up for were full. In other words, like they were maxed out. Like we each period was taking up and teachers were coming down there. And and did you ever experience like the what I call the contagion effect where other teachers told other teachers what it was like down there? So other teachers that were apprehensive said, well, I want to go check this out. Did you ever experience that contagion effect? We did. We did. That wasn't the strengthening piece. Okay. So but what the was? The strengthening piece was, I mean, who is our number one client in our school? Our students. I wanted to use the students' words. When these students come down and started experiencing this, mm-hmm. in like classrooms, if even if we had, let's say, let's say we had seven teachers, all right? Mm-hmm. If seven teachers to believe in the practice and brought, let's say they just brought one, uh, one class each day. That's an MB day for us. Well, that one class, uh, we would be looking at about anywhere from 50 to 60 students from that one teacher. So you take that with the, and let's say the other seven teachers did the same thing. Well, now we got quite a few hundred students that are out there saying what they, what they want their other teachers to do. Mm, Okay. And so we're using that voice and the student's voice saying, this is important to me. You're here. You're my educator. But I don't want you to be just a deliverer of instruction. I want you to be that teacher that I need you to be, regardless of what situation is going on, whether you just want to talk to me about the the content. But I really need to feel that connection. Yeah. You're my teacher. So can you please go to the circle room? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so... That's interesting. That is very interesting because I saw the same correlation at Ed White. We didn't have a circle room. We just had the ability and a platform to circle. So, but what's interesting, Brazel, is you were creating a space that was safe to proactively do this, right? I was creating a space that was reactive, but safe. It was a safe, reactive space, right? So isn't it ironic in very student-centered that when I still had kids at Ed White, when I'm first starting this work, 
going, hey, can we have a circle? Can we talk to? And we we literally had them say, can we circle with other students? Can we circle with other teachers? They they just realized that the circle space was a safe place that they feel valued, seen, and heard. Right? This was the one time that they did. So I think it's interesting that whether you created a reactive space or a responsive space or a proactive space, it's what the kids were really drawn to, almost like a moth to a light, right? Like, yes, absolutely. What were some of the teachers' takeaways on kids requesting or were they shocked? Or what were, just, what were some of the just teachers' perspectives after either they had not experienced or their students had experienced this circle space, right? The circle connection right. center. What were some of the, the, the comments or, or quotes that you were getting from teachers about this space? Well, in, in many cases, when we had a teacher come down with their students just to try it out, they were ready to sign up again for the next opportunity they had. At the same time, and, you know, we did have those students that were going to be reserved in circle. Mm-hmm. You know, we're asking you to share out. Um, and this is this is, a you know, in, in some cases it could get, you know, deep. Mm-hmm. So sometimes students would say, no, I'm, I'm going to bow out. You know, I'm not, or I'm not, not bow out, but I'm just going to pass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it didn't take long because though they weren't speaking, they were listening. So they were hearing things that maybe that child, uh, that, that fellow classmate, if you're sitting across the room from me, they may have heard that that individual's grandfather recently passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that student who never speaks before the next time it comes around might have that. My grandfather passed away too. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and, you know, Kevin, it was like, you're the one that taught me that how that worked and, and stated to me how that worked is like, you are creating little spider webs that are shooting across the room at the other students sitting across from you in that circle. So it's almost like, it's just all these little, little synapses are firing off or mm-hmm. spider webs are connecting across from one another in situations where you can see a, a, a student ever talking to that student over there or this student here, never having any kind of connection with that student over there. So the magic that occurred was all these students from different walks of life and, and the diversity that was in the room. Every one of the, there was one class in particular that just simply became, without question, best friends. And I could I mean, I would be shocked if some of them weren't still communicating with each other today, long after graduation. Yeah, well said. It was powerful. Yeah, it's called cross-connecting. And, and some go. of the, some of those connections are, are thread-like, some of those are yarn-like, and some of them are rope-like. Like, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, you know, like they're, it, it, it doesn't take much for kids. All kids want to know, particularly in high school, Ryan, all they want to know is, I'm not alone. And when you share, you're either struggling or you're even feeling up about something or whatever it is, there's something in commonality. They just don't know it because we're so busy talking about the content that we don't give that little opening to have a connection because we just don't feel like, one, we know it's important, but we just don't feel like I can give it the time that it needs to have so that the kids can make those connections. Right. And so please, secondary educators, I'm not saying that you don't believe in relationships. I just feel that you feel the pressure of getting them prepared for the next, you know, the content, getting them prepared for the SAT and the ACT and, and next steps in life and college and all those other things. They take priority. And so you feel squeezed. And I, what I applaud for you, Ryan, particularly leading it, but even with the support and just the growth and taking a chances, you 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 took a space and you created an intentional connection center where teachers that didn't feel comfortable doing it in their own classroom could go to and be vulnerable to a certain extent, could show Absolutely. that, hey, uh, I don't have to be extraordinary at this moment. I can be ordinary and I can just walk in the room. And it got to the point where I loved that your students were so two feet in that they were the ones facilitating the conversations. The teachers weren't having to go down and go, okay, we're going to talk about this. The students would come in and say, I've got the questions for today. I know what we're going to talk about. I know what we're going to do. And the teacher just sits back and now just becomes a participant in, in the learning of connections. And they're not even having to lead it. Talk about taking all the pressure 
And I just, I just, I can, there's tons of stories and I would say, we'll put the video, a link to the video in the show notes, but Razzle, I, I tell people all the time, I've never seen somebody so two feet in to put a intentional safe space for proactive connections before responsive. So if we flip through the responsive side, you know, you, you, you've got the task of helping teachers and students say, understand the importance of relationships proactively, but then you got to deal with conduct and consequences on the back end, right? Yes, sir. How, how has restorative practices reshaped the lens and, and what are it? And I know you have one tool that you primarily, I want to highlight that tool today. So let's take the listeners through maybe how your prism changed and what your philosophy is when you deal with consequences and conduct and discipline. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, as we talked about, you know, we did a lot of stuff on the on the proactive side, but it's easy to get caught up on the reactive side. And, and I, one of the mistakes I made was on the reactive so much that one time when you and I were together, Kevin, you you said, Russell, you're, you're, you're just going to be a rat in the wheel. You're, you're constantly trying to fix things as opposed to as opposed to going out and starting things such as relationships within the classroom. So, but in regards to that and all of that that I was doing, you know, we can't just always go to what most people recommend, and that is an exclusionary placement. Um, and once again, Kevin, I mean, this, you know, your your mentorship with me has been phenomenal in regards to just all these things that, that come to mind. Uh, another thing that has come out is, is like, I remember you said it, taking those exclusionary practices and moving them from the front pocket to the back pocket. Yes. And let's try to focus on the repairing of the harm first. So in doing that, you know, I, I wanted to try and find another way because it, right now is the time where districts in the state of Texas, at least all across the state are getting crunched by, by their states. Ours is in Austin, but you know, you're putting too many kids in ISS. You're sending home too many kids. Why do you have this many kids in DAEP? So it's, it, it is. It is the quickest and easiest thing to do. You know, it is the quickest and the fastest. But people win at what they focus on, right? So if we're going to focus on finding another way, finding another method, then then that's that's best practice in itself. Um, the first time I heard this was from you. I mean, for the listeners out there, if you're speeding down a highway and you see a police officer, the first thing you're going to do is tap your brakes and slow down. But as soon as that police officer's in your rearview mirror, there's a good chance you're going to speed right back up. Mm -hmm. The purpose is to change a behavior. Because if I do put a child in ISS, OSS, or DAEP, what are the chances of that child going back into one of those? Pretty high. So getting to the heart of it and letting the student know how they affect someone else that cares about them, that loves them, uh, whether it be a teacher or an administrator, that's how you let that child know that you are important in my life and I need you to do better, not just for me, but for yourself. Can you do that for me? So there's all sorts of things going on in that. But one of the things I started doing was really focusing on how that, how that mindset works with the human being. And I figured out that, you know, anger typically leaves the body at, at, at and this is just, you know, I'm no expert, but anger typically is gone within 48 hours at maximum. So working on an A and B day schedule, if I have a child that causes some sort of a disruption in the class that where harm is caused to another person, uh, typically between teacher and student, then I'm going to pull that student out. Uh, when that referral comes, I'm going to read the referral, get the referral from the teacher. I'm going to read it to the child. And then once that child is down in the office area and calmed down, we're going to talk through some things. Um, and we're going to focus on primarily was there, is there, do you feel like there was something you could have done different? And so as I listen to their story, that question is I'm, I'm trying to find something in the child's story to where I can ask that question. And then once I do, shifting that child's focus after I've given them a bottle of water if they've needed it to calm down. So we start talking about that and then focusing on the pieces that could have done different. They could have done different. So then it's really hard for a child to immediately go and apologize to somebody in, you know, when they, when they don't have all their thoughts together. So what I do is, is I give them that option of what we could do, but I'd rather offer you the opportunity to make it right. 
So which is it going to be? Well, I want the chance to make it right. 100% of the time I get that chance. It's like, I'll take door number two. I don't know what you're about to say, but let's just go ahead and do it. By that point, they've already pretty much admitted, you know what? There was something I could have done different. So we talk through that. And then when I give them that opportunity, if they choose to make it right, I pull out a notepad and a piece of paper. And I say, you know what? I want you to put your thoughts down on what you could have done different. Piece of paper. Now, when a grown individual, someone who wants to be treated with respect, such as yourself, realizes that they did something wrong, what is it that we typically do? Well, 100% of the time, I get the child apologize. Okay, there you go. I didn't force you to say that. You said it yourself. So if that's what we want to do, I can help you write that apology. So I explained to the child, there's three components to the apology. Number one, we say what we're sorry for. Number two, we, we say what we could have done different. And then the last thing, we say what we're going to do going forward. And so when that child puts that on paper, transfers their knowledge to the, their mind, to the paper, and they're writing this out, I mean, I get some of the greatest writing samples I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, any English teachers would be proud. So I take that letter and I explain to the child, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I think it's best if you stay with me today in the office area or, you know, just, you know, we'll, we'll get you set up in, you know, somewhere, counseling center, office, whatever. We'll get you set up. You can complete your work. I'll have your assignments brought down from that teacher. When the bell rings, I can trust you. It seems like you're pretty level-headed right now, and I love what you wrote on the letter because I always look at it with them. I'm going to let you go to your next class, but sometimes that teacher and the student both need a break from each other. So I let that child go to class. Now, again, we're on A and B day schedule. That child and that teacher will not see one another until the next A day. So that teacher may go home mad, but two days from now, it may be a whole different thing that has happened with the teacher and their family, that teacher and their work. So the teacher I have yet to speak to. So the next time that child has that class, I take the letter and I take the referral both. I meet that child up there in that classroom. I pull the teacher out and I say, hey, I need so-and-so. And the teacher doesn't even remember. That's what's funny about it. They're, they're like, what? what? You need him? Yes, I do. So the teacher and the student come out. Student reads that letter. And let me tell you, that reactive piece, that restorative piece, restoring that relationship has, I mean, it's, it's, it's brought, it's brought things to a teacher, to an educator's attention that they would never have known. And we're talking about events that may have occurred in March or April. The child's been in that class the whole year. That teacher may not have known that that child was pregnant. That teacher may not have known that their mother is now in stage four cancer. That teacher may never have known that that child was adopted when they were eight and they still have memories of being taken away. I mean, all these things that really focus on the fact that I am a human being first, just like you are, teacher. I am a human being first. And a lot of times what we'll also find out on the back end that maybe that teacher was having a bad day because they just found out that their sister had a miscarriage. It's going to be their that teacher's first niece or nephew. And, you know, so, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. Now, in regards to the placement piece, I always want the teacher to know that I'm here to support you. I wasn't the one offended, so I want you to understand I also have this referral. So once all the hugs and maybe even some of the tears are gone now, Kevin, I still have this piece. Now, what we did there was just the accountability piece. It was my job to support you as an educator and hold this child accountable and make sure that we get this behavior changed so it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. So then I take that referral and I explain, now let's move on to the punishment piece. What would you like to see happen? And Kevin, 100% of the time, it has been, I'm good with what we've done here. Conversations before consequences. There you go. So so to back up a piece, uh, thank you for illustrating that, Brazel. So yes. I, want, I want to get a clarity. No, no, no. I want to get a clarity piece because I want our listeners to, when you go back, when you have the kid, when you have the student, the letter, and the teacher, and you're bringing them together is that conversation happening in front of the entire class? Is it happening in the hallway? Is this a private? Is this before school? So, I mean, I, I, I want our listeners to understand, like, when are you building in? Because I, I, when you went over it, I just missed the specifics. And I don't want somebody that says, man, I want to attempt this, but I, 
I want to know when was he doing this or how was this facilitation of the conversation of accountability happening? So break that down just a little bit further for us, Brazel. Okay. So yeah, a couple of other uh, pieces. You know, that is the one that I just explained is typically the biggest piece that occurs, right? That is the, that's the one that occurs the most. However, if I have a situation in which a fight has taken place between two students, I've done it the same way. I've had students write down where they feel like they could have done something different, not focusing on the other party's actions, right. but you focus only on what you could have done different. And the child will write a letter to another student. And we're talking about 16 and 17 year old kids here, handwriting letters, not texting, not putting it on social media, handwriting a letter to someone that they knew they number one made a bad choice with and number two, they harmed. So, so, so go back to the teacher for me, Brazil. Yeah. When, when is the student and teacher, when, first of all, the student is reading the letter. Yes. The teacher, when is that happening in front of the entire class? Happening right, right, right. Where, where, where's no, it's, it's happening in the hallway. Outside. So you yes. come in, you, I'm your student, Brazil, just walking right. through, you got Kevin and you got to talk to Kevin needs to read his letter to Mrs. A. Yes. Okay. So you have Miss A come out into the hallway. Yes. Okay. It is. But, but here's the thing. There are other pieces. So with that, yes, the, the piece that occurred in front of the class was between the teacher and the student. So yes, the student reads it to the teacher in private. Now, there was a, there have been times, there have been times in which it may have been a long, so I got to look at each situation different. If it took up a lot of the class period and it may have involved a couple of other students, then yes, I have had the student. Again, if they choose, not me having them do it, mm -hmm. choose to make things right. Mm -hmm. They have written a letter and addressed the entire class at the front of the room and students applauding. Yeah, no. And, and the reason I say that, Brazil, is because I think some people, if they don't understand this process, you and yeah. I, do. they can't. Right. They, they, they're trying to close in the gaps. They're like, so does yeah. Brazil have them write it and read it in front of them? And and I think what, what, um, what, what you, you see what I mean? I, yeah. I just I want to fill in the gap. But I think for for some of our for our listeners, Brazil, what what you're experiencing, which is something that we we work together with, is there are what we call like primary. I hate the word victims, but the people that were caused harm, and then there's like a second layer, right? Yes. So even though he may have he or she may have cursed out the teacher and made a big scene, other students were impacted. Yeah. And what what the people are not probably getting if they've never really gone through this process is is as you're breaking the whole explosion referral out as right. you're breaking it down you're you're bringing to the forefront hey who else was impacted well the yeah. teacher what about those other students well i never sure. thought about it okay so maybe when you're thinking about who was impacted and who you're writing this letter to it's to your teacher but it's also to your classmates so you know the reason i say that is is because Unfortunately, despite doesn't matter if they're high school age or elementary age, as a facilitator of these practices, uh -huh. it's our job to help navigate them through some of those those eye-opening moments where they don't realize they've impacted even the right. teacher nor the other people. So it's okay if you're wanting to facilitate this conversation with a student and hold them accountable that you you can say, hey, what about what about the custodian or what about the teacher right. or what about the student or what about the bus driver or whatever it is? You can bring those to the forefront. I don't think that students necessarily have all the answers. I think it's our job to bring them to the forefront and just asking them to reflect and say, oh yeah, he or she was impacted or that group was impacted. Right. And, the, and, and then what, what I love about what you're unpacking is that conversation, accountability, and then if there needs to be a consequence, great. You, you're still supporting that. But as you've experienced and what I've experienced, a majority, I'll just leave that there, a majority of people that truly feel like this is genuine, authentic, and heartfelt rarely need a consequence to put an exclamation point or a period beyond this because they feel like the facilitation of the conversation was just what they needed. They just wanted yep. to feel valued. They want to feel seen and they want to feel heard. Absolutely. And, and what your process is, is doing that. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you look at the educator in most situations, we want, number one, you want the referral because you want the referral, you write the referral to get a behavior change. Number two, you think that child should be held accountable for their actions because you want to help them grow. But what happens a lot is, is when we look at the referral, I need a break and I want that child punished, you know, but when we look at the heart of the educator, 
the heart of the educator says, I need help from someone above my level. I need help. And I, I want this child to be held accountable for what they're doing, not punished. So the accountability piece, and just like you said, coming before me and letting me know that you you owe me an apology. I don't want your head on a stick, but you owe me an apology. And, and I thank you for what you just did. And I'm good. That's it. I want to feel valued. And the principal, the administrator made me feel valued. And you as the student, recognizing that we both were on a level of energy that didn't need to go there. I'm good. So so I'll ask you directly, Brazel. You've, you've been using this process for a few years now. So yes, what what from your takeaway, I know you were going to get some data to support your ideas and in, in showing you how this has been not only impactful, but, but it's changing. What, what, what are your tendencies when you look at your data to see repeat behaviors, the, the, these flare up consistently off and on again? In other words, how many, le- some people are going to say, yeah, okay, this sounds great. Very kumbaya. How many letters can a kid write before a teacher's really done with them? Like what, what are some of the takeaways that you're seeing on the back end? as direct outcomes and change behavior or reduce discipline referrals when it comes to handling it this way versus just straight exclusionary consequences? So I'll, I'll say this. There has been one time when I had a student, uh, when I had this type of interaction with the student and teacher and the letter was read, there has been one time when um, uh, a altercation between teacher and student happened again, between the exact same two, okay? It's a different matter because... It's a different matter if that teacher go if that student goes to another teacher and does something to get a referral. Then we'll work on that. But the fact that I do not have any other than that one over the past three years, three to four years, that is the only one time that it's happened where I had a student come back from the same teacher. But I go ahead. No. So what are your, I, I apologize. I thought you were, I, it's, it's that zoom lag. I thought you had finished yeah. your sentence. So then my thought Brazil is, so what are your teachers who may, because you have to understand that the assistant principal job people, you may have an alpha or a grade level, right? Yep. So, so you may experience Brazil doing it one way and another administrator doing it different, which is, I'm not, I'm not competing. I'm saying, but when you choose to handle a facilitation you know, preparation and then facilitation and you're in, you know, so the other thing that goes into these pieces, Brazil, is you don't just stick two individuals together. These teachers know, hey, this is how I'm going to be handling this referral that I'm going to be bringing the kid back. Right. The reason I also want to illustrate is, 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 is I think there are some key points of coaching points in here that we, we don't want to just glide over because it's not like Brazel just shows up at the door with Kevin and teacher Miss A and you're like, oh, Kevin's back and he's got a letter. They they understand your philosophy and how you're dealing with accountability with the conversations before consequences, correct? Right. Yes, absolutely. So they understand the process. So there's, I always use this phrase, expectations lead to disappointment. So they don't go, what the heck are you doing here, Brazel, with this kid and this letter thing? What What is this that you're doing? They understand that. So that's that's done proactively, correct? They yes, know absolutely. Okay. So then what are some of the takeaways from your teachers responding to this? Like, what are their ahas or moments of like clarity or just understanding a little bit more about the child when you do unpack this conversation versus just immediately going to the consequence? What are your some yeah. of the takeaways from your teachers? <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, let's, if we go back, you know, we get, we get caught up in our day-to-day lives involve day-to-day routines. It's breaking up the norm. You know, if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about the student, here's your paper, here's your pencil, here's my assignment, turn it in. Here's your paper, here's your pencil, here's my assignment, turn it in. If we go and break up that routine with something out of the ordinary, it catches people off guard. It does. It has caught teachers off guard. Uh, They do know that I do this. I've had teachers say to me, look, I know you're the relational guy, and I'm just like... (laughs) With me here, okay. A compliment. Exactly. The reason, no, the reason I say that is, is oh my God, people! If if you could just be in mine or Brazil's shoes, when you are deemed the relational guy, or Mike, when I was on the campus, right? Oh, that's restorative. That's a Kevin thing, right? Like you get uh-huh. you, you get labeled and identified as that guy then anything in that area just gets shoved off and you're, oh, that's a Brazzle thing. Oh yeah, you're the relational guy, right. Brazzle. Sorry, just right. had a quick, quick, quick shout out to the relational guy or women out there 
that you are labeled because you stick out. <laughs> not everybody else is, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah. It's, and so it's like what, what students are used to when they make a bad choice, what they're used to and gotten used to is, all right, what, what's my deal? Am I going to ISS or what? Are you sending me home? So they're, they're used to it. At the same time, the teacher is like, oh, he needs to go to ISS. She needs to go to ISS. So it's become the norm for the student to believe I'm going to ISS, for the teacher to believe that the child's either going to ISS, OSS, or DAP. It's just become the norm. So when I break up that norm, it catches them off guard. And I'll, I'll use myself as an example. And this kind of relates to what you were asking about in regards to how other administrators handle things. Well, when, when a student sent down, keep in mind that anger is still within the mind. It takes 48 hours. So the anger is still there. So the student does not come back to class. And as a matter of fact, the student will be in ISS the next day, the next day, and the next day. All right. So there's three days of ISS for what you did within that five minutes to that teacher. All right. Now, student goes back. Attention is still there. Teacher and student don't care for each other. I'm just, you know, I'm being. Yeah, no, yeah, I got you. If they know that I'm doing it this other way, then they're welcome to it. They're they're open to that, and they know now. But still, that anger is there. They just don't want to see that child again that day. Right. So, and I'm like I said, I'm using myself as an example. I have put a child in ISS for let's say a four day period, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's say a three day. Well, after the second day, I get a phone call from the ISS teacher, and I'd be shocked if it didn't happen to. Every other administrator out there, at least once in their life, and, and, or more, probably more. But I know it's happened to everybody on my campus, all the administrators. So uh, our, our ISS teacher will call the administrator after two days, and it's happened with me. Hey, Mr. Brazel, I've got uh, I've got Jonathan out here right now. You know, he's been doing great. He's 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 certainly owned up to what he did wrong. I think the accountability piece has been been there. Oh, is there any way he could go back to class tomorrow? And sure enough, I asked the question, well, I'll tell you what, what administrator put him in there? You probably ought to talk to that one. That would be you, Mr. Brazel. You put this child in here. <laughs> so I don't even remember putting the child in there. And so like, what am I, what am I punishing the child for? I, I didn't, you know, it's when it's on me, it's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. If you think he's fine, then he's fine. Let's send him out. So why did I assign three days if I'm only going to have him serve two? So that would have hurt me again with the state another day out of placement. So it's like, you know, if that, that, that should be a red flag to myself as the administrator. Ding, ding, ding. I got to think of something different here because it's pointless for us to keep getting in trouble by the state by having all these days spent in ISS by a handful of kids. Well, and as you mentioned earlier, one thing that I love teaching about is the idea of taking those exclusionary consequences and putting them in your back pocket. Yes. Reaching for them when you need them to break the cycle. So, right. no, I think you did a great job today, Brazel, of of really driving home in the classroom and right. in the office. We're, we're creatures of habit, right? Absolutely. Come in, sit down in the content, do your bell warmer. Okay, we're going to go over the objective. Okay, let's do this. All right, let's move yeah. to that. Okay, today's Wednesday. It's a quiz. Like, there are routines. And I love routines, but I love routines with relationships. Yes. So there's a Maureen Polero in one of our episodes told us this, Brazel. She said, routines with relationships, routines combined with relationships give you regulation. Okay? Yeah. When you yeah. feel deregulated, when the wheels are wobbling on your classroom, you get rigid. And so what we need to do is, is when it's, when we feel rigid and we're deregulated in order to deregulate, get back to regulation, we got to ramp up, revisit and reteach routines and relationships. Like if we can stay in that cycle. So I, I, I think the only thing that we're adding to the routines that we're talking about is relationships, because if they come down to the office and as you said, the first thing the kids are indoctrinated to asking is what is my consequence, right? Oh. And, and that's what I teach when we teach in these trainings, you know, instead of saying, okay, what, what rule did you break, Brazil? Who broke it? And what the, and how many days should I give you? Right. right. The first thing we should say is, is, Hey, how are you? Tell me what happened. Yeah. What were you thinking about? Right. What yeah. do you think you could have done different? And what do we need to do to make things right? Like that's a conversation. Sure. And if I can, if they're not in fight, flight, or freeze, and their brain is is not all over the place, and they're able to have that conversation, if not, you know what? 
I am going to need to either send you home or put you in ISS or just change your setting or have you sit in the office until for another two hours. And then let's check in with each other and see where your right. brain's at. If you're, once you're able to articulate that conversation and if you're good at facilitating this, stop staring or steering the kids to the converse, uh, to the consequences. If a kid says, so what, I'm going to ISS? We're not even talking about that. Let's not even talk about in-school suspension. Right. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about what you think. Like, stop talking about the consequences. Because uh, for the kid, unless they have two parents at home, unless they know the difference between right and wrong, unless they're a, a really great kid who just made a one-time bad mistake, a consequence will shape those kids right back up. That's a hammer yeah. and a nail, right? You're screwed because you're, you're swinging that same hammer at a screw. The kid that comes down there 90% of your time, who's only 10% of your population, those kids aren't going to change from an in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, or detention place. Right. What I love about your conversation piece is, is you've given us some practical tools to take away. You've given us some strategies, and you give us some things to think about. So with that, Ryan, let's just start wrapping up here. We're right at our hour. So let me just give you this. What other, what closing message do you want to share with uh, any educators that happen to listen to this podcast? I appreciate that. And I think that there's, you know, quite possibly a lot of, a lot of questions about it and like, yeah, but how do you, how do you prove that it works? You know? And I think one of the things that I wanted to, to point out is whatever district you're in, if you are an administrator or, or whatnot, if let's say, let's say from the administrator standpoint, if you're the administrator and you try these methods and these practices with the child, and as I stated, I've never had a child go into an exclusionary placement when I've brought the teacher and student together. So if you have that in your district and you've got, let's say that one offense, insubordination or disruptive behavior could be a maximum of five days ISS. Well, if you do this with that child and that teacher and you repair that relationship, two things are going to happen. Number one, it'd be highly, highly, highly unlikely, as I stated, I've only had it happen once, highly unlikely for you to get another referral from that teacher regarding the same thing, you know, the, the same type of break in relationship. And number two is think of the days you just saved. You held the child accountable, but yet you just decreased a five-day placement in ISS. Now you take that and you do these practices at least 20 times throughout the course of a school year, which can happen in today's society. It can certainly happen. You have these, you do this 20 times. Well, you just saved a total of 100 days of exclusionary placement for a child, and you've repaired relationships. You've you've got your teachers believing in you as an administrator. You've got students believing in you as administrator. So the data, it can be there. Other than that, I mean, on the teacher end, uh, if, if you're an educator, which I always I fully say, uh, I am a teacher first, principal second. If at any point I say that I'm a principal first, teacher second, then it's time for me to move on down the road. I am still a teacher at heart, always will be. So for you teachers out there, understand that the message is clear. You have got to connect before you content. And, and that's that's straight from the words that I believe, that's straight from the words of Mr. Kevin Curtis himself. And that is a huge piece and platform that I stand on and I raise my hands to. Remember, we want the child held accountable for their actions, not punished. We still have to maintain that relationship with your student, show them that you care. We all have things go on in our lives um, as human beings. The students do too. One of the things I recently heard you talk about, Kevin, over the past year or so is something that I see a lot on my campus as teachers. Everything is not black and white when it comes to our kids. We can't just be in the gray. We need it as educators. Our kids need gray as well. Gray is grace. So, well, Great parting words, man. I don't have to say anything then other than Ryan Brazel. Thank you for not only being two feet in education, but for two feet in kids, for doing the right thing, for standing out, for being Mr. Relational. Uh, I'll take that title any day, <laughs> uh, man. You've been a great friend, a colleague, another person to bounce ideas off. I wanted to have you on the show today because I believe 
the the the, the proactive space intentionally creating a proactive space to pro, to give the opportunities for teachers to build and sustain relationships yeah. and then showing an outside the box relational way to hold kids accountable and what the outcomes could be i thought those were two powerful things i wanted you to share with our audience today so as we're closing up people um i would tell you listeners if you want to get a hold of ryan brazel we will uh, ryan what you want to you want to give out shout out your email real quick Sure. Uh, it is R Brazel. It's um, R B R A S as in Sam, S as in Sam, E L L at mesquite.org. Or you can reach me on my personal email, ryanbrazel.903 at gmail.com. Awesome, brother. Hey, thanks for being on this show. Hey, for those of you that are tuning in, I hope you were able to take a lot away from today's conversations, and we will connect with you next time.